So we began the worship service today with a greeting that we use exactly one time a year, a special greeting for a special particular Sunday. He is risen, and you say? He's risen indeed. It's our greeting for each other only on Easter. Because that's the day that we celebrate, in particular, our Savior coming back from the dead. And the penalty of sin being paid, and the power of sin being broken. It's what we call resurrection. It's at the heart of Christian faith. There is something that happens after physical death. There is something that happens after these bodies, my body, dies. And we're going to talk about that this morning, on the day that we greet each other with the greeting, He is risen. But we're also going to either learn or be reminded, I hope, that resurrection is not just a doctrine or a truth for the someday out there somewhere. But it's a doctrine that is intended to change life right now in the ordinary, everyday life that the Christian leads. So, so far this year, we've been living in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're close to the end of the book of Thessalonians. And usually what we do in a sermon is we just work our way through a book, one passage at a time, beginning to end. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, but we're going to stay in 1 Thessalonians. So we've been learning themes and theology from 1 Thessalonians through the year so far. We're going to come to 1 Thessalonians now, and rather than go through the next passage, we'll do that next week, we're going to ask the book three questions that I think it wants us to ask. Right? That's the best Bible study you can do, is learning how to ask the text the questions it wants you to ask so that you can then get the answer of the message of the text that it wants you to learn. So we're going to ask it three questions I think it wants us to ask. And those are in your bulletin outline. And these are the three questions. Why do we need resurrection hope? What does resurrection hope do? And how does resurrection happen? Why do we need resurrection hope? What does resurrection hope do? And how does resurrection happen? We're going to ask First Thessalonians those three questions, and we're going to listen to three different passages in the book that answer them for us. We should acknowledge, though, that life after death is hardly a, a Christian idea. That's not unique to Christianity. Right? Pretty much any major worldview that matters or any world religion on the scene is going to address the question of, is there life after death and what is it? If only to try to give its own answer or to just deny that there is anything after life. Right? Even pop culture in America loves to address this question. Right? Think about Star Wars. It wouldn't be a complete sermon without a reference to Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, right? So think about Star Wars. In the Star Wars universe, even the most powerful of all the Jedi who have learned the ways of the Force deeply, all of them eventually die. But the really powerful Jedi, right, those guys who've really figured out the Force, they can actually come back from the dead. They can continue to live forever in the force, right? They don't have a body. You've probably seen this in the movies. But they can still do stuff and whack people on the head with their sticks and things like that. So in the world that George Lucas created, there's still life after death. But unfortunately, that's just in George Lucas's imagination, the Jedi living forever in the force. That's actually, hey, I hope I'm not bursting your bubbles, but that's not real, it's not the real world. It's just science fiction. There are not actually any Jedi, and there is no force in which you can live forever. And though in the West we like this kind of thing in our science fiction movies, in the real world where we live in the West, 
we have increasingly bought into the idea that this world that we can see and perceive with our senses is actually the only real one. We've become very secular, and so we've become materialist. And we believe that nothing is eternal, and so there's nothing after this life. And all we can see and experience, to use an Ecclesiastes phrase, all that we can see and experience under the sun is all there is, and there really is nothing after this body dies. That's not the world George Lucas created, if the force... It's the world the secular humanists have created, and it's no more real than George Lucas's science fiction. There is something that actually happens in life after the body dies. This sermon, though, this morning is asking questions of 1 Thessalonians. We're not out to show this morning how the West is wrong and how what the Bible teaches is true. We can do that at other times and places, and we believe for many good reasons that we can do that. But we're going to assume the Bible's true, and so we're going to ask it for truth about life after death. And we're going to look at three texts that help us answer these three questions. Why do we need resurrection hope? That's going to be chapter 1. What does resurrection hope do? That's the end of chapter 4. And how does resurrection happen? That's the beginning of chapter 5. We've studied all three of these texts together already. We're going to look at them through a slightly different lens, through the lens of this question this morning. So let's work on the first one first. Why do we need resurrection hope? That's chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. If you want to open up your Bibles or grab one out of the pew in front of you, if you didn't bring one along, I believe it's page about 986 in the pew Bible, and I can't help you with the page number in your Bible. But if you want to open up to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read these three texts together through the course of the sermon. This is chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we don't need to say anything because they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you remember when we started this book back in January, Paul gives thanks for these people in Thessalonica and how they received and believed the gospel. And as he does so, right at the beginning of the book, we see a critical component in Christian life, that trio that shows up in verse 2. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance or steadfastness inspired by hope. Right? And in that trio, which we, it's a theme that weaves its way through the book, those three things, we see that endurance inspired by hope is the launching pad for the other two. Work produced by faith and labor prompted by love launches from endurance inspired by hope. So why do we need resurrection hope? 
the first reason the text is telling us is because this, is, this hope is essential to begin the Christian life. So look at the passage, and we'll see that. Christian life begins when the gospel is preached, he says, at the beginning of chapter 1, and when the gospel is received in power, both from the work of the Holy Spirit in the person and by receiving it from the full conviction of those who are preaching it. And the gospel that this church heard that Paul is talking about is the same gospel we preach and we receive today 2,000 years later. And we can state it simply using two, book, two verses from the book of Romans, near where we read in our time of confession, Romans 3.23 and 6.23 say, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It's an old But it's a very true message. And if we're honest with ourselves, it resonates. We know that we've sinned, right? I know I'm not perfect, and I know you know that you're not perfect. We have all, in words and in thoughts and in deeds, fallen short of God's holy standard, either in something we've done on purpose to violate it or in any way that we did not actually live up to it. We know we've done that and sinned against God and that every sin, Scripture teaches us, because it's against an eternal God, carries an eternal death penalty with it. And we have all earned that death penalty many times over. Those, that's the first half of each of those verses. But then you keep reading, read the second half of Romans 3.23 and 6.23, and you hear the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that happens because Jesus has lived the life I couldn't. He had no sin. We talked about that on Monday, Thursday in Hebrews 4. Jesus died the death we deserved. He's paid the death penalty. And on the third day, he rose from again. The empty tomb is proof that the sacrifice worked. God accepted it. The sin's penalty is paid. Death's power is broken. And the way Jesus' life, death, and resurrection apply to me is that all God asks is faith. Throwing myself completely on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and trusting him in, in him wholly, that he's the one who saves me, and there's nothing I can add to that. So now in God's sight, by faith in Christ, now I'm not guilty. And we call that, our $5 word for that in theology, is justification. God declares me, he says, you are righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of my son, I accept you. My son's traded himself for you. You've accepted that by faith, and that now counts for you, and you are not guilty. That's where Christian life begins. That's where hope launches from. That's the launching pad from which comes everything else in Christian life, right? Because that's not, that's not intended to be the only thing that faith does. Faith produces work. Love produces labor. And so it continues in a life of faith and love prompted by love as responding to Jesus' work. It's what we call here discipleship. And Paul speaks of it this way in 1 Thessalonians. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Right? And when that happens and you start to take on, learn Jesus' person, that you might be shaped by who he is and start to look and live and speak like who he is, you're not a part of the world anymore. You've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now you're living differently. And sooner or later, that will bring what Scripture promises it will bring, what Paul taught the Thessalonians it would bring. Sooner or later, the world's not going to like that. And it will bring persecution and suffering. So why do we need resurrection hope? It's the place Christian life starts. 
And why do we need resurrection hope? It's the only way Christian life keeps going. It's the sure and certain hope that Jesus is risen and our death penalty is paid so that when persecution and suffering come, we have the endurance from hope that continues to let us live with work produced by faith and labor prompted by love. So that's the first answer to the first question from chapter 1. Because you're united with Christ, Jesus' life and death count for you if you believe in him. And because you're united to Christ, Jesus' resurrection will happen to you. Your future's guaranteed, right? If you're in Christ. So shouldn't that change the way you're living now? Like, what do you have to lose? What do you actually have to be afraid of if your future is guaranteed? That seems to me that should change the way we live now if I don't have to ever worry about the future. So right now, resurrection means that the gospel, what's the middle part of chapter 1? What does the church do to respond to the gospel? It rings out from them in Macedonia and Achaia. So that would be like the entire state of Minnesota. Here's the gospel because we're living it here. And it's not just in Macedonia and Achaia. Everywhere Paul goes, he doesn't need to tell them, hey, you want to hear what happened in Thessalonia? They tell him what happened in Thessalonia because everybody knows what's going on. Because the gospel has grabbed a hold of that church so much that it's now ringing out from them. You see, resurrection isn't just the someday. It's the right now. It changes life in the present. That's why we need resurrection hope to begin Christian life and to keep living it until we meet Jesus face to face, whether that's because I've died and gone to meet him or he's come back to get us. We need resurrection hope so we can wait for the risen son by doing works produced by faith and labor prompted by love. That's the first question. The second question we wanted to ask this book, or that I think it wants us to ask it, is what does resurrection hope do? So we know why we need it. What does it do? And I think Paul talks about that at the end of chapter 4. If you'll turn a page, if you need to turn the page over to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read 13 through 18. We studied this a little more recently. It might be more familiar. We're going to read it again anyway. What does resurrection hope do? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That was our memory verse for the week. In this passage, resurrection hope is doing Four things. Four things. So let's start at the beginning of the passage. Verses 13 and 14. What's it doing there? Resurrection hope there is seeing beyond the grave. It's seeing beyond the grave. There is indeed something that happens after our physical bodies die, right? And it's not the force. You know, it's not that. And it's not nothingness or just disintegration into blankness. 
you can see beyond the grave, perhaps most clearly at a funeral. I think funerals are good places to look for this because there are really just two kinds of funerals, right? There's a funeral of someone who has died having rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that is a hopeless funeral. That is a sad place to be, and it is full of platitudes and empty words and make-believe fiction that's just as useful as George Lucas's imagination in determining where that person has gone. Because if they have died rejecting Christ, that means they're bearing the penalty of their sin themselves. And that death penalty is on them, and they will pay it forever in punishment and hell. The other kind of funeral is a very different kind of funeral. It's one of someone who has died in Christ. And though the grief in the morning is real, and it hurts, there's also this strange, weird joy that's intermingled at that funeral that comes from the sure and certain hope of resurrection. This isn't the last time we're going to see this person. We're going to spend forever with them in the presence of Jesus Christ in the new heavens and a new earth. That is very, very different than the hopeless funeral of someone who has died a part of Christ. Just as Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that all who are in him will do so with him. Right? We are risen matters because it means Christians will rise from the dead too. And that is you and everyone you know who is in Christ. What does resurrection hope do? It helps you see beyond the grave to what is true about what is coming. The second thing resurrection hope does, if you keep reading through the passage, verse 15, resurrection hope trusts in the word of God. Believing in life after death requires faith. We're not going to deny that. It does. If you've drunk deeply from the world's secularism and materialism, or if you've drunk deeply from a different world religion, that might be harder to swallow. But this is what God is asking. You have to trust me. That's what faith is. You have to throw yourself wholly on me. You have to believe in my word and what it says about my son. You have to trust me. Believe in my word and its testimony about who Jesus is and what he did and the result of his work, and that it's resurrection. Star Wars isn't true. Atheism isn't true. Secularism isn't true. No other major world religion is true. Only those who are in Christ have resurrection hope. And that requires faith. And we believe it's a reasonable faith. We can believe that we can demonstrate that it's a reasonable faith. But it requires faith. That's one, the second thing resurrection hope does. Trust in the word of God. Third, look at verses 16 and 17. Resurrection hope actively looks forward to the together part of eternity. Right? The together part of eternity. First Thessalonians, we've learned one thing that it's about is the strong relational bonds that comprise those who are in the church. The love of Christ binds the church together in love for one another. And that demonstrates the power of the gospel and shows the power of the gospel. Everyone who's watching the way the church acts and relates to each other as we grow in Christ, we also grow in our relationships with each other. 
Love one another. Our future hope, our certain future then, it's a together future. This text hammers that over and over again, that Christ is going to bring all of his saints together, the ones who are dead and the ones who are still living, the ones who are here and the ones who have already gone home, and we're all going to meet him and welcome him back as he comes. No more being isolated and no more being hidden and no more being alone. Together with Christ and with one another, in an eternal community. But that one will not be broken or tainted by any sin anymore. Won't that be fun to show up for the heavenly worship service and to be perfect? And you don't have to worry about what I'm going to say or do to you. (laughs) And I don't have to worry about what you're going to say or do to me because we will be without sin because Christ's work will be perfect and that community will be perfect. And that is something to look forward to. Resurrection hope looks forward to the together that is forever in Christ. And the fourth thing it does in this text, resurrection hope is necessary for the present. Our memory verse this week, therefore encourage one another with these words. The Bible, Paul, who wrote this letter, he does not intend he is risen And you will rise with him to be some sort of pie-in-the-sky, little ethereal, nebulous thing that we say every now and then so we can wear rose-colored glasses over eternal life. He intends he is risen to change life right now. Encourage one another with these words. Jesus does not intend us as his church to be living some sort of dour, well, everything's going to burn, so it doesn't matter anyway, kind of existence. Nor does he intend us to be leading some sort of, I'm of so much heavenly worth, I'm of no earthly good at all to anyone kind of existence. That's not what eschatology, study of the end, is to be doing. He also doesn't want us living a just, I'm just hanging on by my fingernails kind of existence either. Resurrection hope gives the Christian the foundation and the launching pad to live without anxiety about tomorrow. Tomorrow's promised. Right? If, if COVID mutates into a new vari- variant that is highly contagious and 90% fatal, your future is still assured in Christ. Right? If Putin decides he's going to launch his nuclear weapons to win his war, your future is still assured in Christ. Nothing changes that. Resurrection hope is necessary to live life in the present to be able to set aside those things because you know that you're going to hear the voice of command and the, the cry of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. You will hear that. And you will rise and meet Christ in the air and welcome him back to earth with all of the saints in a triumphal procession, procession like Psalms 24 talks about to live on the new heavens and the new earth forever with him and with each other. That is going to happen. So that's what resurrection hope does. It teaches us to look, at, look beyond the grave. There's more here. It teaches us trust the word of God and what it teaches about what is true about Christ and his work. And There's something more going on in the future than just your funeral. So live life in the present, powered by your sure and certain hope in the future. That's what resurrection hope does. You can be and make disciples now. You can wait for the risen son being about the work he's given you to do because your future is guaranteed in Christ. And those two words are really, really important. That answers... 
The second question. Now we're going to ask it the third question it wants us to ask. First, that's wants us to ask, how does resurrection happen? In verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, answer that question. So let's read this text we just studied, I think, two weeks ago. So it's probably pretty fresh. Let's read the whole thing again. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. And then sudden destruction is going to come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then don't let, let us not sleep as others do. Let us be awake. Let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of love and faith, faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For Christ has not dust, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are, in fact, doing. You hear it ends the same way, because it's pointed at the same end. This passage is also teaching us four things about how the resurrection happens. So first, did you happen to notice as we were reading the passage, to whom does resurrection happen? To whom does resurrection happen? It's not only Christians who have resurrection, is it? Well, if you're Hindu, then you get to be reincarnated over there. Or if you're a Buddhist, you get to evaporate into nothingness over here. Or if you're a Muslim, you get to go to your heavenly rewards that you've earned by good works over there. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And it is that that is taught by the Bible. There is only one end. To whom does resurrection happen then? This text, and if you take it together with others, like Revelation 18 through 20 would be a good place to look, they clearly teach resurrection actually happens to everyone. It happens to everyone. When Jesus comes back for final judgment, everyone who has ever lived will rise from the dead and stand before his throne to be judged. So resurrection happens to everyone. You need to understand this. You're going to exist forever. You're going to exist forever. That's what Scripture teaches. The real question you need to be concerned about is whether you're going to exist forever eternally dying or eternally living. Those are your only two choices. It will be one or the other. So how does resurrection happen? It happens to everyone. Here's the second thing this text teaches us about it. For some who don't believe in Jesus, it will be a surprise. That's how it will happen. Like a thief in the night. It will ambush you. When you think everything's good. Everything's safe. No problems here. So this text is something that you need to be listening to. It's a warning. If you're not a Christian, you think this won't happen to you. And this text is saying, yes, it will. And it will ambush you. It will take you off guard, and when it does, then it's too late. Then resurrection hope will do you no good. 
But for those who believe in Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life, when they come to resurrection, it will not be a surprise at all. It won't be an ambush. It will be what we're anticipating, our long-awaited end of history, a long-awaited consummation of God's promise of eternal life. That's what I'm looking for. I can't wait to get home. I've been listening to a song by a group called the Grey Havens lately that starts off, I think the first line is, have you ever missed somewhere that you've never been? I miss somewhere that I've never been, and I can't wait to get there. And the only way I'm going to get there is by the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. But because that's the way I'm getting there, I am certain I'm going home. I want you to come with me. Because those who are in Christ are not ambushed by the end. We're anticipating it. And we spend our time waiting for the risen Son to come and works produced by faith and labor prompted by love because that's what he's given us to do, to imitate him, to be and make disciples. So how does resurrection happen? It happens to everyone. It happens either as an ambush or as something long anticipated. The third thing that we learned about how resurrection happens is that whether you exist forever dying or forever living depends entirely on your relationship with Jesus Christ. This passage uses the metaphor of darkness and light to talk about this. And darkness is where everybody starts off. It doesn't mean physical darkness. It means spiritual darkness. Everyone starts off that way. Remember Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Darkness means trapped. Darkness means enslaved. Darkness means dead in sin, rebelling against God, and unable to do anything about it. And it's the natural state of every person. Everyone in this room has been this. So you know what I'm talking about. Ephesians 2 talks about this. On the day of resurrection, all those who are still in that state will find it's a day of reckoning. It's not just an ambush, it's a reckoning. And the bill has come due, and it's time to pay the bill, and every sin you've ever committed will come down on your head in eternal judgment because there will be no one else to pay the bill for you. You will pay it. And the penalty for sin is death. And that death lasts forever. That's the third thing we've learned about how resurrection happens for those who are in darkness. The fourth and last thing this text teaches us about how resurrection happens is how it happens for those who are in light. And that's a metaphor, too. That doesn't mean physical light. It means spiritual light. Those who have repented of our sin and who have trusted and thrown ourselves wholly on Jesus Christ and have forgiveness of sin have been declared by God. You're not innocent because Jesus has taken your place. You don't have to pay the bill because Jesus has paid it. Jesus has has taken God's wrath for you. And now you are not guilty, and you are forgiven, and you have his life credited to you, so you join him in resurrection life. God has not destined us for wrath, he writes, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's what you want to hear on the day of judgment. The Son of God interceding for you with the Father. So that when you stand at the judgment throne, Jesus comes and stands in between and says, Father, he has faith in me. I've paid for him. My body for his sin. My blood has put him in a covenant or her in a covenant with you that can't be broken. And the Father will say, I accept your sacrifice. 
this is my child. And you get to go in to eternal life together with all the rest of the saints. That's how resurrection is going to happen for those who are in light. So those are our three questions. The first thus I think wanted us to ask and is answered for us. Why do we need resurrection hope? What does resurrection hope do? And how does resurrection happen? And I want to encourage you that this is intended not just to be some sort of pie-in-the-sky theory for you. It's intended to change everyday, ordinary life. That's what this text is aiming at. The Holy Spirit wants to take this text and apply it to your hands and your feet, as well as your mouth and your heart and your mind so that you will take steps to the right to grow in Christ. Maybe for you, the next step to take from what we've learned about resurrection this morning is you need to take resurrection seriously so it does not ambush you. You need to understand that there really is an eternity. You are going to live forever. And you need to agree with Scripture and God's testimony in this book that you have sinned and fallen short of his perfect standard and you deserve the death penalty for your sin and that you're going to pay for it except for the work of Christ. And you need to throw yourself fully on Jesus Christ and believe his death and the cross has paid the death you deserve and his perfect life is credited to you that you might be counted righteous and then live with him when the day of the Lord comes as a thief so that you're not ambushed You're anticipating. Come now. You have no idea when Christ is coming. Neither do I. But if you're not in Christ, it will be like an ambush, like a thief in the night. And if you would like to learn more how to do that, you can talk to anyone here who is an elder. Elder, would you please raise your hands? These men can all tell you how to know Jesus as your Savior. And in fact, anyone who is a member here can do the same. So grab someone who goes to church here. Let's talk about this. Maybe for you, the truth of resurrection from the Bible this morning is that you need to take everyday life more seriously and more joyfully. Is your everyday life the vocation of gospel ministry? Is the way that you live as a Christian that Jesus' message rings out from you just like it does from the Thessalonians? What are you willing to endure to speak the gospel so others will hear it and be, have a chance to turn and believe along with you. Do you really enjoy living life and getting to learn Jesus more and live for Jesus more now? Because your future is already guaranteed. You've got nothing to lose. There's nothing better to be doing with your everyday life than getting to learn Jesus better and slow steps of maturity to learn and grow in him and telling other people about it. So live freely. Christ has set you free from sin and death. Live like it. Be and make disciples. So whichever camp you're in, whether you need to come and take the resurrection seriously and come to Christ in faith today, or take the resurrection seriously and start living joyfully for Jesus every day until you get to meet him. The Bible teaches us he is risen, changes forever and today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask again that you would help us to hear this text that we believe breathes with your voice that is God-inspired and God-breathed for our teaching and our rebuking and our correcting and our training in righteousness. So help us to hear it and heed it. 
We ask that you would bless it and make your face shine upon us, that you would be gracious to us and lift up your countenance upon us and grant us your peace, both now and the peace that we look forward to because he is risen. He is risen indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.